This is KGMI Connects with Joe Tian, a live local show about our community and you on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Well, good Monday afternoon. It is our Open Lines, Open Ideas program, but we can't take your calls today because uh, we continue in our series of candidate debates here today and um, giving you a chance to get to know the folks who are running for office here in Whatcom County and uh, focusing once again on the 42nd District. Today, we hear from two candidates for 42nd District State Representative. It's position one. Uh, we're here, well, here in the studio with us are a Democrat, Alicia Rule, and Republican, Tasha Dykstra-Thompson. Great to have both of you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. So if you listened to our show a, a week ago, well, last Tuesday, I guess, we had the debate between uh, Simon Sefcik and Sharon Shoemake, who are running for the state Senate in the 42nd District. So very the same format. So we've got a list of questions here that you guys haven't seen the specific questions, but they're all about issues that are important to our community and uh, folks living here. And so you'll each have uh, two minutes to respond to each question. And then you can ask for a rebuttal. You get 30 seconds to uh, rebut the, and then 30 seconds to respond. So I, I kind of clear. Yeah. All right. All right. So we flipped a coin before we went on the air, and Alicia Rule won that coin flip. So that means she has to go first on our very <laughs> first question. Yeah, right. All right. And uh, Maddie is here. She's timing, so she's going to be very strict with the clock. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So uh, the issue we start with is cost of living, and the question Inflation continues at rates not seen in decades. Are there steps that state government can take to ease the pain of higher prices for consumers? So we start with Alicia Rule. Yeah, boy, isn't that the truth? Uh, The cost of inflation right now is really painful for so many families, uh, myself included. Um, Basic things like cost of groceries, having to make hard decisions about where we can drive because gas has gotten so expensive, or what kinds of meats, or maybe if we can have meat at all on the on the dinner table, is kind of where we're at because of that increase. So um, <clears throat> I did work really hard to try to get some immediate relief with a sales tax holiday, which would have been a break. And I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to get a B&O sales tax um, reduction for our smallest businesses. But we really do need to continue to work on all fronts because this is impacting families and seniors in a way that's really palpable. All right. Um, we'll go to Tasha. Thank you. Uh, yes, the average cost for everything these days is costing the average family over $600 more per month, which most people are finding unaffordable. Uh, and in particular, I, was, I have a person that I work with and full-time job, and he, for the first time, is like, I'm going to have to go see if I can get food stamps because I cannot afford the daily things. Last year, we had a $15 billion budget surplus and in that surplus and all the uh, changes or all the spending that was done from that surplus not one tax break was given to the people and in in fact actually the uh, there was fees added on uh, to DOL as in today they're or they're significantly more expensive uh, 400% increase in some of the DMV fees and so uh, in light of the big surplus and we have a big surplus coming up in the next year uh, yes, we need to give our families uh, a, a gas tax, and I think that we have enough to give a pretty good, significant gas tax, and, and we need to repeal the carbon tax that's going to be hitting in January with a at least a minimum of a $0.48 cents, um, increase in gas prices that are already unaffordable for many. So I plan on giving gas tax or giving as many breaks as we can with a surplus that people need to, to, to um, be able to try and get their house costs down so they can afford to survive uh, because there's no um, break in the inflation. It does not look like it's going to be coming down anytime soon. All right. Uh, Alicia, do you have anything? Do you want to respond? Well, I would just say that we did see some tax relief for our very smallest businesses. And I just want to remind people that's our neighbors and our friends. Um, That does not take the place of something that I would have really loved to seen, which would have been something that directly impacts our families. Like I said, sponsoring that bill to get that sales tax reduction would have been great. Um, free Tax-free uh, opportunity would have been really nice. And so I hope we can continue to do that. But um, I also would just add that we were able to do a tiny bit 
and would like to have done more. Okay. Tasha? So Rep- Republicans came up with a great budget bill uh, written up by uh, Representative Stokesbury that would have spent that $15 billion that included some decreases, but also would have fully funded Medicare and Medicaid, which for our elder population that are being especially hit by these inflation prices because of they're on a fixed income. They don't have anywhere to uh, draw from. They don't have a job or some are going back to work. And that's not the way that we should be treating our elders. All right. Uh, well, let's stay uh, kind of along the same lines. Uh, housing uh, is a big issue. Home prices are and now interest rates continue to increase, making home ownership difficult for many Whatcom County residents. Can state lawmakers do anything to make homes more affordable? And this time we start with Tasha Dykstra-Thompson. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, there are plenty of ways that we can uh, bring down our housing costs. The biggest um, thing that is the cost of a house before you even start to build the house, the permitting costs here are outrageously expensive. Uh, somewhere I've heard up to even $50,000 before you even turn over uh, a shovel of dirt to start building your house. And so we need to find ways to reduce the permit uh, price so that we can uh, start off with a lower house price. We also have to find ways to build more um, starter homes. We have been investing a lot in larger homes, and we need to invest in some starter homes so that young people uh, wanting to stay here, wanting to live here, can have a goal of actually owning a home because owning a home is the best way that you can get ahead um, with wealth in the future because then you have an equity in your home and you can build off of that. And so we need to promote ways that our young adults um, coming into the market for the first time are not so overwhelmed because everybody wants to live in Whatcom County. It's an, a fabulous place to live. I grew up here, and so I, and I have a daughter. I would love for her to be able to stay here, but at this point, I don't know how she would be able to afford to do so. So we need to look at the regulations that increase the permit prices and stop voting for more um, permitting increases that are going uh, more, you know, some of them are climate initiatives are, that are keep increasing our permit costs. I know Whatcom County is looking at... Um, permitting costs is that could add another $20,000 to the cost of a permit. Um, and so we need to find ways to, to cut down on the regulations and um, find uh, and better ways to get the permit process being a lot less expensive. All right. Uh, Alicia Rule? We can and we should and we absolutely need to make this a priority. The cost of living in Whatcom County is unbearable. It's particularly unbearable for those of us who have either grown up here or have decided to build our lives here and don't have high-paying jobs out of the cities like Seattle and Tacoma. Um, We're not here. We're only working the jobs that are available to us. So one of the things I'm really dedicated to is to ensuring that we have opportunities for everybody who lives here, particularly those who didn't decide to go to college. So I worked really hard on building education programs and opportunities for apprenticeships Um, in those jobs where you are working with your hands and still able to make a good living. Um, I'm also really proud of the work that we did in increasing home ownership opportunities with areas like Habitat for Humanity. I think those are fantastic programs. I was very happy to partner with them for funding to get some of those off the ground. We need to continue that work and really many other ways in this housing spectrum. It's not just one way that we're going to be able to impact it, but we've got to work on the full spectrum. All right. Tasha, anything to add? Yes, thank you. Um, I didn't get into it in the first two minutes, but the Growth Management Act needs to be um, reevaluated. It was created in 1990, and a lot of the regulations within the Growth Management Act are impacting the affordability of housing, and so we need to really take a hard look on, is it achieving what, what it was intended to achieve, and how can we uh, alter it so that we can make houses more affordable? And I want to add that I'm, I am um, what's endorsed by the Housing Affordability Project here. All right. Alicia, uh, response? Yeah, I'd just like to add that it's really crucial that we continue to work on uh, not only investing, which is important, but also managing the money well in the Housing Trust Fund. And I'm very proud of the work that I did to get a, a particular allocation, a cutout, for those of us who are living in areas that are not our urban areas, so that is like the Seattle and Tacoma area. Um, and so we were able to use some of those emergency housing funds right here in our rural areas. 
All right. Uh, once again, we're speaking with uh, or hearing from, I should say, a Democratic candidate Alicia Rule and Republican Tasha Dykstra Thompson. They're candidates for the 42nd District State Representative Position 1. And um, let's go on to crime now. Law enforcement says the rate of crime in many categories have risen sharply in our communities. What do you attribute this to and what steps should be taken to combat it? And we start this time with Alicia Rule. Yes, thank you. We have a big crime problem right now, um, and we need to use every tool that we have to make Whatcom County and Washington State safe again. So that means that we need to increase the number of law enforcement officers that we have. We need to build out our public safety system on all accounts, improve our very broken mental health system because they work hand in hand. And not that it's directly a state issue, but we need a new jail desperately. Um, When we work together, we can accomplish things for the people that live here. And this is one of my priorities. I took leadership roles in the last couple of sessions to try to move some things forward. I was very frustrated with not being able to get that pursuit bill through the Senate. We made it bipartisanly off the House floor. And the ability to pursue is not in play right now because we lost it by one vote in the Senate. So I intend to go back and get it across the line this time. All right. Uh, Tasha? Well, uh, as a former police officer, I have seen how crime has decimated, in particular, um, Bellingham. But the rest of the county is also feeling the impacts. I concur with uh, Alicia that the jail is a big part of that reason. We need a new jail facility here in uh, the 42nd and Whatcom County. Um, But it has been voted down twice now. Um, And so we also, um, I was a, I first got my foot in the door in politics when I was the legislative advocate for the Bellingham Police Department Police Union. And so uh, I advocated strongly against all of this legislation, advising our candidates, or not our candidates, excuse me, our representatives, exactly what would uh, happen if these laws were uh, enacted. And uh, unfortunately, they did pass through. And yes, I Alicia was one I spoke to, and Sharon, I often spoke to as well about these particular rules. And so um, the one thing that I can bring to the table on this particular issue is I'm an expert in it. I spent 25 years of my life working with everybody in the community uh, on crime problems as a supervisor and sergeant of the Domestic Violence and Sexual Sexual Assault Services. I worked closely with uh, organizations to help victims in our community. And so I've always worked collaboratively with anyone in the community that had the same goal as me, and that is to keep our community safe and to help victims process through what has happened to them. Um, So I've never been concerned about uh, whether it's an RRD, but whether or not uh, we have the same goal. And we we both had, when we we have the same goal, we will do so much more together. And that's what I did throughout my career is I worked with anyone and everyone uh, who wanted to work on this. And so that's what I'll bring to Olympia is that is the expertise of knowing exactly what we'll be doing. I mean, when I advised Alicia and Sharon, I could tell them exactly, if you do this, this is the result because I've lived it and I know the nuances of, of the interplay of all the different rules and regulations. All right. Do you have a response, Alicia? Thank you, yes. And that's why I voted against most of these laws um, and worked to repeal them in the second year that I was in the legislature. I think if you take a look at my voting record, you'll see that it was – informed by law enforcement's input. And um, it's important to know that I'm the only candidate that has been supported by the Fraternal Order of Police in this race. Okay. Uh, Natasha? (laughs) Thank you. Um, Well, I'm the only candidate that's supported by Washington Council of Police and Sheriffs because I worked extensively with them uh, when I was the union advocate. Uh, FOP uh, refused to call me back when I called and asked for uh, to see if I could interview for an endorsement request on their behalf. And I was an FOP member at one point in time when I was an Honor Guard member. And so uh, 1310 was the worst bill, and she is that is the one bill you did vote yes for, and that took away all authority for the use of force. Um, okay, now we move along. Well, I, I'll ask this question. We've kind of touched on it, and maybe you don't have a lot to add to it, but I was going to ask, are policing reform laws recently passed in Olympia having the desired effect, and should they be expanded, restricted, or kept where they are? So Tasha will start this time. They definitely need to be expanded, and so I just recently on my webpage uh, put out a um, crime blog, basically, and I basically said we need to repeal the current legislation that was passed the last two years. We need to 
support our police officers and empower them through more training and less, uh, more funding, not less. And so um, the biggest one, 1054, that she mentioned, that's the pursuit law. Personal story, um, it was several years ago, we had a bank robbery at a, a WIKU, and uh, I was the second officer on scene, and, and, and a senior officer had gone ahead, and they're like, we had a tracker on it. There was a tracker on the bill, so we had a, a scanner. And so he said, hey, I'm north of you, and we're, I'm getting some indications that they're up here north of the city. They had gone out to Smith and Guide. And so I, I go racing up there, and I get into that area. Um, and then the tracker went dead, so they'd found it. So I started just patrolling the area, and I, all I had was a car and two guys that freaked out when they saw me and took off. Under current laws, I could not have chased those people. Uh, thankfully, under that, I could, and I was able to chase them and arrest them, and they had actually committed five uh, armed robberies in the city of Bellingham. But under current laws, with that reasonable suspicion and not probable cause, I could not have stopped that. And I, you know, they were becoming more and more violent through every bank robbery that they had committed. And so those are the type of things that I can bring to Olympia, the actual stories of what these laws are doing, so that I can persuade the people that we need the changes and why we need those changes. All right. Alicia, the policing laws? Yes, that particular law is one that I worked really hard on to get, I said, passed off the House floor, and we were able to do that. And we were able to do that because of my leadership and because of the relationships that I built down in Olympia. So when we go back, I'm ready to go hit the ground running and do it again and get across the line. That is not the only thing. The other thing I'm really concerned about is, as you know, we had the Blake decision come our way, and I don't think anybody is happy with where it landed, Democrats or Republicans. We had to come up with a compromise, and um, I'm going to consider that a fail. And I look forward to working really hard to ensure that we have better legislation moving forward. Um, and I think that we can see that it was a fail. And so I pr plan on reintroducing my bill to criminalize fentanyl specifically because it's so deadly and it's hitting our kids um, and it's hitting our youth. And you can see it on the streets every day. And that's not acceptable for Whatcom County. Tasha, do you have a response? Yes. Reference the bill that you tried to pass uh, regarding fentanyl. Um, I appreciate that you wrote it, but you were the only one on it. You didn't even find a co-sponsor to try and get that bill across the line. And I know several Republicans that would have been happy to sign on to that particular bill. We can't, we can't not get that across the line. It is killing so many people. Here in Whatcom County, there's already been 58 overdose deaths since the beginning of the year. We cannot hesitate. We cannot not have a winning record on that bill. Alicia? Fantastic. I appreciate my opponent's support for my bill. Okay. Uh, let's say, well, kind of along those same lines, mental illness plays a role in so many troubled areas in our society, crime, policing, violence, chronic addiction, homelessness. Are we doing enough to help people who are suffering with mental illness? And to this time we start with Alicia, I believe. I think so. Great. Okay. <laughs> Maddie says yes. Yes. Okay. Of course. So as a mental health professional for over 20 years, this is an area that's near and dear to my heart. Of course, it intersects with public safety. Um, it's not hard to see that when we just look right outside our doors on a daily basis. We have a abysmal mental health system in Washington state, and we need to continue the work that I started in this last session. We now have a fully paid 32-bed inpatient unit coming to Bellingham because of the work that I did. We now have a detox center coming to Lummi Nation so that um, those who are ready to get off of the fentanyl and the other opioids have a humane way of doing that in a way that lessens their pain and it's effective. We need to continue working on building out these systems, including the crisis stabilization center that I was able to get funded the operating expenses for. We, we have just gotten started, and I'm ready to continue this work moving forward. Okay, Tasha? Uh, I appreciate all those things that Alicia mentioned. Those are all good things. The stabilization center in, in the Bakerview Spur, we were all excited that has come to fruition. What we found and what I found on the streets was that that's a great uh, service if the person is ready to admit that they have a mental health crisis and they want to go there voluntarily. I had a gal that I was working with for over three hours because she wasn't enough to ITA. I couldn't take her to the hospital against her will. I wasn't quite there. I didn't have the PC for that. And I couldn't get her to voluntary, voluntarily go to that particular facility. And so she was 
a chronic issue that day. We got multiple calls on her, so that's why I spent so much time on that particular call. So what we need to focus on is voluntary. Yes, we need to keep supporting those, but we need those involuntary services for the people that don't uh, aren't are such in such crisis that they cannot recognize that they need the help. And that's one of the biggest um, failures of 1310 was that it took away law enforcement's ability to help people who were in that because they hadn't committed a crime, we didn't have PC to arrest, and so therefore they uh, we couldn't use force if they wouldn't go with us willingly, and yet we could recognize that they needed help and, and we, were, we had to stand there. And so that is where our biggest gap is. Um, at the state level, we need to fund and get Western State Hospital uh, to the point where it is servicing, uh, serving people again in this realm. It is also why our jail is not uh, processing people through the court system is because Western State is responsible for, um, what's the word I'm thinking of, uh, deeming that people are mentally stable enough to uh, go to trial or um, stand trial. And so it's backing up our entire system through the court system, and that's that's the at the state level what we need to do is Western State Hospital, we need to focus on that as well. Alicia, do you have a response? Yeah, Western State Hospital and the work that happens, there is there is a backlog, and that needs to be addressed. Um, and I also think that the involuntary, she's talked about the ITA, the Involuntary Treatment Act, and that is something that I think we can look at. Um, we need Republican and Democrat support to pass this stuff, and last session we didn't have it. We have a new group of legislators that will be coming back in, and I'm ready to go back to work. All right. Uh, well, quick before we take a break, we'll uh, let's touch on uh, homelessness. Um, homelessness is a crisis here, as in as it is in so many communities. What can be done to help those without homes, and is the state doing enough to help? So we'll start this time with Tasha. It is such a complex and nuanced issue because you know we've already touched on a couple of the reasons why we have a homelessness. Uh, one of the biggest drivers of homelessness, and that's the mental health. Uh, realm. And, you know, as a bicycle officer downtown, I work daily with our transient population for two plus years. Uh, uh, One thing that we always have to recognize is some people, no matter how much help you give them, they don't want to be in a home. And so we have to recognize that sometimes uh, what we think they should want is not what they're going to want. And so we need to work within that realm as well. Um, What we also know is, is that just providing a home to someone who is in mental health crisis or severe addiction is actually uh, 50% more likely to die if they're just housed, but we have not tackled the, the root cause of their maybe their homelessness, such as mental health, because they're going to uh, likely overdose and no one's going to find them. I mean, it's inhumane that they're on the street, but at the same time, they're seen at that. So how do you find that balance of uh, finding homing? And here in Bellingham, 22 North is a prime example of how it kind of goes really wrong when you just house pe- house people without really tackling the root cause of homelessness, such as mental health and um, drug addiction. And so then you're just putting money into a cause. So we need to find, um, we need to work closely. Base Camp is a phenomenal program. It is funded by the people, uh, not by the government. And they do a great job because they hold people accountable uh, and give them goals to reach so that they can work their way up into uh, working with our community outreach officer or community outreach organizations for when they're ready and stable, they can move into a home in the appropriate time and place. All right. Alicia? Yeah, thanks for asking the question. Our homelessness issue is a very important issue, and it is not just a homeless, homeless issue. It is also a mental health crisis. It's a domestic violence crisis. It's a drug addiction crisis, and it is not humane or compassionate to leave people out in the cold, suffering without helping them. These are people who are in our community and our neighbors and our friends and our our friends' children, and um, we have an obligation to look after them and to take care of them, and we're failing. So we need to work hard to rebuild these systems in a way that's effective, um, that is conscientious of what is going to be treatment that's going to work. Tasha, do you have something to add? Do you want uh, a a follow-up? Yeah, I would. I would just. Uh, I would just add that again. She's one hundred percent correct. We're both correct. It, we understand that we need to under, get to the root of the problem. It's not uh, just a homelessness issue. It's it's the other things. And so, just providing more housing, so that money that we 
there needs to be money for housing, but we need to also figure out, is it being effectively spent? And because we are accountable to the people for how we spend their money, um, that it's actually working the way that we need it to work. Alicia? Yeah, and all of that to add, we've talked about the, the housing cost, which also has to be addressed. Um, we, both things are happening at the same time. It doesn't take somebody long to be houseless before it impacts their mental illness. So it's not necessarily which came first, the chicken or the egg. Both things need to happen at the same time. All right. We'll take a quick break. Uh, this is KGMI Connects, and uh, we're uh, honored to have our two uh, uh, candidates for the 42nd District State Representative Position 1 here in the studio for a debate. We're hearing from Republican Tasha Dykstra-Thompson and Democrat Alicia Rule. We'll take a quick break. Be back here in just a few minutes and continue. We're taking your calls live on KGMI Connects, 360-676-5464. Well, today we're not taking your calls. we got two candidates here in the studio for a debate. Republican Tasha Dykstra-Thompson and Democrat Alicia Rule. They are both running for 42nd District State Representative Position 1 here in Whatcom County. And um, just going through a bunch of questions, issues that are important to all of us here in our communities. And uh, let's see, we start this time with Alicia, correct? Okay. Uh, we'll move on to, uh, well, let's let's move on to health. What's your take on emergency measures taken in Washington to deal with the pandemic? Yeah, well, it was necessary at the time. Let's not forget that vaccines got us here today. And thankfully, we have moved through that and we can continue to rebuild after this total disaster. Um, it's time now to relook at that. I did early on put some pressure on our governor to back off some of those those specifics, um, particularly when it, it came to our children. Uh, as somebody who's been a specialist working with children for my whole professional life, I sounded the alarm bells early for our kids with the return to school. And I really am proud of the fact that I was able to work closely with the governor and the governor's office around getting kids back into sports because it was a compromise that we could find that allowed for kids to be outside, get their mental health back in check, be with each other, connect, and still stay safe. All right. Tasha? Well, we are still under emergency mandates under our current governor, and he has not given up his emergency powers uh, after over 900 days of emergency powers. So, when the president of the United States declares that the emergency over is over and we still are under emergency mandates, last uh, session we had an opportunity to try and uh, reduce or take away some of his emergency powers and reassess it at that time, and that did not make it even off the floor um, of the debate. So I think that in a lot of ways um, I agree with some things. Initially when we uh, didn't know what this was and we didn't know what we were facing, uh, we the the I agreed with some of the shutdowns initially uh, because we didn't quite know what we were facing. I I was a police officer on the streets at that time. I I was a supervisor on patrol, and so I never had the opportunity to lock down. And um, you know, myself as a supervisor over the only people in the city working uh, for public safety, other than the fire department, they did a fabulous job as well. Um, you know, after a little while, we realized that it was. Um, not exactly what we thought it was, and we needed to adjust more rapidly to what we were listening to. And so I think we did a huge disservice to the children in our community. It is being reflected in their math scores. It's being reflected in their reading scores, keeping kids out of school for over two years when there was evidence to show that uh, it was not a a high rate of transmission in the schools uh, was an injustice to our children. My child, thankfully, was in a private school, and so... um, because we were blessed enough to be able to keep her in the school, and she didn't have that same uh, impact as some of the children. And so I think that we did a disservice to our children. We have a lot to make up for in that regard. And the first thing is uh, the emergency power reforms in the next session so that we don't have this happen again. All right. Alicia, do you have a response? Yeah, the only response is I just want to remind people, because it hits close to home, I had loved ones, dear, dear loved ones, who died from this disease. And across the nation, we had people die from this disease. So minimizing the importance of the vaccine, I think, is at a cost that we can't forget. And also, we need to move forward now with the information we have. We had a second wave of COVID right when we went back to that session, which 
no doubt impacted what the bulk of the legislature was thinking at that time. Tasha? I don't believe in any of my comments that I did in anything minimize the impacts of vaccines or the impacts of uh, people and their families and how this happened. And so uh, I am only talking about what the impact was to our children and the fact that we have a governor that still has emergency powers 900 days after, which is completely uh, contradictory to our Constitution of what he should be doing. All right, on to a new question. Uh, you're both moms. Is the state investing enough in K through K 12 education and early childhood education? And we start with Tasha. Currently, our state is one of the top in the nation for the amount of money that we invest in our school and our education. And so um, I'm in full support. I think the teachers do an amazing job. Uh, I wonder if I think the the money, if it's not being used effectively, if it's more towards the bureaucracy of the school and education system versus to the teachers of the education system because they're the ones doing all the work. And so I fully support trying to, uh, that teachers should be uh, paid well because they have one of the most difficult jobs. I am a school bus driver now, and so I know what those kids can be like <laughs> after a long day of school. And, uh, uh, and I think they feed them sugar right before they get on the bus sometimes. So uh, we need to uh, look at whether it's being effective, because even though we are one of the states with the highest number of or the highest amount uh, spent per child uh, in the nation, we have one of the lowest uh, scores for reading and math. And so we need to do a better job of supporting our children if it's just the pandemic uh, or if there's other reasons for that particular low score. Alicia? Our public school system is the cornerstone of our democracy. And I fully support our, our teachers and our public schools because it's what, what we have to offer for our next generation. Um, with that said, I can't wait to do some more work in this space. I'm really proud of my work in outdoor education. Um, as a mental health professional, I learned that our students don't always necessarily do as well as they could in a four wall than the four walls of a classroom, but you get them outside and their eyes light up and they succeed. And so I'm so proud that now every district is going to be able to participate in outdoor education, not just our wealthiest districts. I also did work in the edu education space for our most vulnerable. So taking my experience as a child welfare social worker, a CPS social worker, and coupling that with my experience as a school counselor and figuring out ways that we can make the laws work better so that those students who are coming in vulnerable and homeless are not continually falling to the bottom and that they also have an opportunity to thrive and just do really well um, in their future because we owe it to them. Tasha, do you have a response? Yeah, I have some really interesting or I think creative ideas. I have 10 brothers and sisters, and I found that none of us ever learned the same. And that is why some t I would be a proponent for, to a certain degree, of the money following the child. Because, like, for example, my brother, who I think he graduated with a D minus average, became the valedictorian in his HVAC uh, B, uh, tech school. And so I'd like to see more hands-on training for high school students that have decided, and I think that would help the workforce where we are at a shortage. Alicia? Agreed. That's why I've been working in that space and was able to get funding for um, our local, some of our local public high schools, making that connection with the career-connected learning uh, for those who work in their hands and building up that very important workforce. Not everybody needs to go to a four-year college and many people can do that technical work, work with their hands, and they should be able to make a good living and raise a family here in Whatcom County doing that. All right. Uh, move, uh, staying with education, um, one of the more controversial uh, moves by the legislature in recent years was comprehensive sex education, requiring it for all K-12 through schools uh, and public schools. And um, what's your take on that? Let's start with Alicia. Yeah, I think that some of the parts that I was really looking carefully at are, do parents have a choice to look over this curriculum? Yes, they do. That was really important to me. And is it age appropriate? And do local districts have input onto which um, age appropriate curriculums they choose? And all of those things are yes. I think that we are living in a world right now where kids have access to absolutely everything. And the statistics show us that they've had access to it long before we want them to and before we think they have. 
So I think it's really important that we have, and again, I want to emphasize age-appropriate education um, for our kids, which oftentimes in those early years has nothing to do with sex the way that you imagine it might and everything to do with consent and asking and understanding um, uh, about boundaries and physical space and social-emotional learning. Tasha? Yes. So um, I know that a lot of the concerns I hear about this particular um, conversation is exactly with parental rights and what they perceive. You know, when our my daughter got to that age where sex ed became an instruction at her school. And so I really appreciated that our school reached out, said, hey, this is the day what we're doing this. And they had a parent night for us to come in and watch the video that they were going to see. And the teacher and the instructors went over everything that they were going to talk to our child about. And so that put a lot of people's minds at ease. But it also, I think we really have to have an option for uh, if the parent's not comfortable with that, that the parent can remove their child from that particular learning because um, they don't think that their child is ready and the parents know what their child is ready to hear and not to hear. And so I appreciate you know, having worked sex crimes for a long time, especially towards children, uh, the consent thing, you know, and it's something I really struggled with how to talk to my daughter about because I didn't want to scare her um, uh, in that realm because I'm cynical and jaded after working to with far too many um, people that did horrible things to children. And so I appreciate where they were going with it, but I also understand that sometimes children aren't ready to hear certain things. You know, that was one of the biggest things when we were I was learning uh, and training to be a forensic child interviewer is that how you phrase something and how they absorb that can be completely opposite of what you're intending to uh, have them understand or what you're trying to say or teach them. And so I think it's very, very important uh, how that is taught. And I think that's where the parental influence has to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for, has to be respected and uh, because they know their child the best. And so I really want to uh, make sure that any education that the parents are in 100% support of and are comfortable with. Alicia, do you have a response? And that's why I can support the legislation that went through that did include that parental aspect. Um, any parent has full control over what their children have access to in that realm. Um, as somebody who worked in child protection for much of my professional life, I understand the importance of this. And um, I am so grateful for my kids' teachers and the partnership that we have because I know that we agree um, that we want to protect our kids. And it's of a very significant priority for all of us in the world that we live in today. Tasha? Look how we are both so amendable to working together and across the aisle. So I think we both do great <laughs> at it. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Let's move along here to uh, the environment. Well, reducing greenhouse gas emissions has been a priority in Olympia. Is that a good thing, and are we taking the right steps to reach the goals set by Governor Inslee and others? And we'll start with Tasha this time. Well, and as far as greenhouse, greenhouse gases, I'm going to, to uh, talk about the electrical car mandate uh, that by 2030, and uh, we have to get rid of, I think it's 2035 now, that we have to get rid of all um, gas-powered, diesel-powered vehicles and uh, go to electric-only vehicles. Uh, Although I understand, um, I guess, the precipice of why they want to do that, unfortunately what I see that doing is costing those that can't, can't afford it the least the most amount of money. You know, uh, electrical cars are very expensive, and then the specialty equipment to be able to charge them at your home. And secondary, the cost of um, the infrastructure. We are not set up on our infrastructure to be able to go uh, completely electric, and so uh, again, the impact of that will be most felt by the middle and lower cl income class in our society. People that can afford solar panels and all that for their house will do so, but uh, those that can't afford it, which means we'll have to subsidize it through tax taxes on the pe people already uh, to pay for those things. And so um, I, I look at energy as kind of a good stock portfolio. Diversity is best. I don't think going one way all the way is uh, going to serve the people in our community. I think we can be conscientious of good climate policy without having to force everybody into doing something that they may not be able be able to afford to do. Alicia? Yeah, climate change is real and it's here right now. There's no denying that. Um, my concern is in the details. So I am a social worker, I've been a social worker my whole life, and I'm living here and I'm not wealthy. So I am really concerned 
uh, with both things at the same time. And I think this is where, where it takes a dedication to bipartisan partnership to get really good, detailed, good policy that works to move forward to reduce our greenhouse gases. But also at the very same time, we cannot do that on the backs of our poor. And that's why I made some of the really tough votes that I did and voted against some of my respected Democrat colleagues, because I really worry about those who are farm workers and those who are working on farms or have farms and have big equipment. We need to build out infrastructure and we need to make sure that everything that we do moving forward, that we'll build in good, thoughtful policy looking after the little guy. Um, And that's particularly concerning to me when we look at the folks that are economically um, impacted the most. Tasha, do you have a response? Um. No, I, I agree. I think in the details, we need to make sure that any impact moving forward and not setting unattainable goals that's going to cost the little people the most, such as the, the electrical car mandate that we will not be able to afford to get into place and it is going to fall on everybody and raise the prices. Uh, the carbon fuel tax is a huge uh, indicator of, or one of those big taxes. We need to repeal that carbon tax because it's so expensive and it's hurting the little p- person the most the people that can't use public transport because they work odd hours. Alicia? And that's why I voted no for that tax. Uh, I do think that we need to work diligently, and I think it's great to set a goal. I also think that it's important to take a look at what innovation can happen in the private sector, and that now that we have a goal, we know we have to work quickly, and I trust and watch them go. The human... um, factor in this is being underestimated, we are going to innovate quickly because it's necessary. And I am looking forward to incentivizing that. Uh, let's move on to, well, transportation and infrastructure. Kind of touched on that. Uh, are we investing enough in our infrastructure and should we be focused more on public or personal transportation? So this would be Alicia. Yeah, well, I think we need to invest in all the things that are going to keep us moving forward. So we don't get to pick one or the other. We've got to be able to continue working on building out public transportation. But we also have to understand in places like where I live in Blaine, I'm doing a lot of driving. And it's not possible at this point for me to use public transportation to get through my days. Uh, I had an incident recently where I thought maybe I would just try it and um, make my way into Bellingham, and the schedule is absurd, and it's impossible to use a bus. So we need to continue working on public transportation, but we also have to continue working on how we can build out the infrastructure to increase the amount of alternative vehicles, continue to in- innovate, and continue to look out for those who can't afford to make the change right now. Tasha? Uh, my, my big thing on infrastructure is we need to really focus on making the roads that we have usable. We need to work on the potholes and the little things for the people that uh, need to drive every day to work and the damage that's being done to their vehicles because we're not maintaining our roads because a lot of the uh, big money is being spent in King County for huge uh, public transportation projects that most of the people in the 42nd district will never ever use. And so uh, I support, again, like everything, diversity in a stock portfolio, diversity in transportation options is always good but not at the expense of taxing us more um, and making it unaffordable for us to live here. It all is uh, working together uh, on all those things. And so uh, here in the 42nd District, we need to work on our basic road infrastructure. And yes, we need to keep being innovative on ways to um, include public transportation and make it available to people. Uh, That is a, a, a good goal to have. But I think that we get too involved and too much is being spent uh, on the billion-dollar projects down in King County that most of the state will never use. Alicia? Yeah. You know, my suspension system in my car is wrecked. She's right. We've got to fix our roads, but we also need local uh, partnership to be able to do that. So we do need to work with our cities and our counties well um, so that we can keep moving forward on that. Uh, In addition, I am really proud of the Lemmy Island Ferry that needed desperately to be replaced. So at least we got that going. Um, those folks over there have needed that for a long time. Tasha? In the $15 billion surplus that we had, all of the a lot of the money, we could have been more effectively working on this particular um, thing. I know Eastern Washington has a lot of road issues that did not receive enough money to fully fund their basic roads. And that's a huge agricultural community in this state. And so, yes, my focus is the 42nd, but we are representatives for the entire state. 
and they need some more assistance on that transportation and infrastructure. All right, on to uh, employment and jobs. Are recent increases in the minimum wage having the desired effect here in Washington? Tasha. Well, with the inflation and the uh, cost of living going up so high, a minimum wage increase uh, isn't enough to make it, uh, is not enough to actually work because we did not give any tax breaks to anyone at this with this $15 billion surplus that we had. And the minimum wage impacts for our small businesses that were already negatively impacted by the uh, shutdowns that were forced on them by the emergency mandates of the governor, uh, they're the ones most impacted. Those large corporations like Walmart and, and Costco can afford minimum wage adjustments, but all our small mom-and-pop stores that are already suffering because they were shut down for so long, uh, just adding more minimum wage makes it uh, very difficult for them to pull out of this pandemic in the best way that they can. You know, in the farming community, that's one of the complaints that I heard is this minimum wage for farm employees, um, or for, excuse me, the overtime. Uh, the one thing that uh, the farming community uh, advised is that, you know, our, on the federal level is where the milk prices are set, and that's determining what the farmers are going to make. And so when the state comes in and says, you have to pay this amount of money, but it's not taking into consideration the federal amount of money that they're they're already mandated to get from the federal level it's really impacting our farming community and here in the 42nd the farming community is the backbone of of um, our financial security going forward and so we need to find ways to work uh, cohesively between the small businesses and we need to find ways that employees can uh, make enough money to be able to afford this and that should from our level come from tax breaks for the people. Alicia? The inflation factor is something that we need to keep a laser focus on moving forward. And that means we're going to have to work on multiple different planes at the same time. I am fully dedicated to continue work to make sure that we have good family wage jobs coming into and innovating in Whatcom County, that we support our small businesses, that we support our farmers. We've got to be able to continue to um, work to get those those wages up and also impact, as we've talked about in great depth before, the housing cost. Um, when we can get those back in balance, and I believe that there are things that we can continue to do moving forward to do that, I think that we are going to see some relief. But we are just on the heels of this pandemic, and it is going to take a little time. This is not something that's unique to the 42nd, but boy, are we feeling it. It is close to home every time we go to the grocery store, every time we have to go fill up. Um, I'm pretty tired of my my car pegging out $100 every time I have to fill up my gas tank. Tasha, do you have a response? No, we, I, again, Alicia and I seem to agree on several things, but uh, I think the one thing that we disagreed on is that $15 billion uh, budget surplus that we had that we could have made meaningful tax cuts that were not made. Uh, in, in fact, the opposite happened in that more fees were added on uh, to the people when we're going into a time frame when we cannot afford uh, even the basic cost of food at this time. Alicia? I supported tax breaks. You got to get the votes. The votes weren't there. All right. Well, I hope you have a few minutes to stay stay with us. Sure. We'll take a quick break, to. and I'll be back. We'll go a little bit past 5 o'clock. With us are uh, Democrat Alicia Rule and Republican Tasha Dykstra-Thompson. They are candidates for 42nd District State Representative, Position 1 right here in Whatcom County. And uh, we'll continue our debate in just a moment here on KGMI. We're taking your calls live on KGMI Connects, 360-676-5464. Thanks for joining us here on this Monday and a special program today and going a little bit long. We have here in the studio Republican Tasha Dykstra-Thompson and Democratic candidate Alicia Rule. They're both running for 42nd District State Representative Position 1 and are answering our questions here on our program today. And a couple more questions. Then we'll do a quick lightning round and then we'll hear from the candidates themselves about themselves and uh, why they're running. But uh, let's move on to tax policy. Washington said to have the most regressive tax policy of any of the 50 states. Of course, that means low and middle income earners pay a greater percentage of their worth than the wealthy do in taxes. Is the recently enacted capital gains tax a legitimate way to address this inequality? And are there other steps that should be taken? And we start with, we start with, I think, 
Tasha? Start, go ahead, Tasha. It doesn't really matter. We're okay. both going to have an opportunity to talk. Uh, the capital gains tax is uh, been deemed by uh, Douglas County Superior Court judge to be an income tax, which goes against our state constitution. And so uh, I recognize a lot of people say it's just a tax on the, the wealthiest in our and to pay their fair share, but it goes against the constitution. As a police officer, uh, it was my oath to uphold the constitution of the state of Washington. And so uh, a capital gains tax that goes against that constitution uh, is not something that we should be doing uh, and looking at. And the concern is always with capital gains or any taxes, where are they going to expand to? The B&O tax was originally a tax on a very small group of things, and over the years it's continued to expand. And so allowing a, a tax that is against the Constitution um, because it, you know the argument is it's only on the very rich, eventually, as with all taxes, they tend to expand out. And so uh, I would not be in support of a capital gains tax that goes against the Constitution uh, of the state of Washington. Alicia? Yeah, I voted against the capital gains tax, and I'm concerned with the fact that, as we've spoken really a lot about in this session, that we've got um, inflation that's impacting our families and our seniors. And so we do need to continue to work, but this is the kind of work that only can happen if we work together. And so I'm just looking at anywhere that we can kind of chip away at this to be able to get some tax relief to folks. So whether that's sales tax or uh, the B&O tax for our very small businesses, which is often our neighbors and friends, or what other, way, other ways that we can look at it without cutting very necessary programs, I think that's what we need to do. But it, it really takes partnership, and it takes a lot of work and um, built relationships to do that. Tasha? Uh, response? No, I don't. Any ideas on how or should we address uh, tax inequality in our in our state? I mean, in other words, do we need tax reform and do you have ideas on what what that might look like? We'll start with Alicia. Yeah, I think we the tax reform should be on our vulnerable. That can be our seniors, that can be our families, but it's got to be what we can do together. I mean, that's a practical reality of working in this legislature is that we have to be able to work together because you have to have the votes at the end of the day. If you don't, you stay stuck and you don't have anything to show for it. Tasha? Uh, exactly. We have the one of the most regressive tax uh, codes in the United States. And so we do need to do a lot more. Um, I always say I'm very fiscally conservative. And what that means to me is that uh, we need to be very accountable to the people for every dollar that they spend. And is the dollar that we're spending uh, having the uh, effect that we intended it for it to achieve? And so is there, instead of asking about, is do we need to tax the people more, is the money that we're taking in being spent effectively? Let's be accountable to the people for how every dollar that we uh, take from the people is being spent and is being effective in what we want it to be and is it to the people. And so... The government does not make money. The government only spends the money that they take from the people through the tax system. And so we need to be, as government officials, uh, very accountable for every dollar that is spent. And so uh, that is what I will be. That's accountability is what I've been doing my entire career is holding people accountable. And so we need to hold ourselves accountable and our representatives accountable for every dollar that um, we take from the people and is spent for the people. Alicia, any more on that issue? Yeah, that's right. This is tax money that is hard earned by the people of Whatcom County and Washington State. And we have a large burden of responsibility to make sure that it's spent in a way that delivers back to the people. And I'll continue to do that work when I return to Olympia. Tasha? Uh, I will work with anyone across the aisle as long as, like I said, I will always find people no matter who. Uh, I've always worked with people and we always found what our common goal was and we worked toward that goal and I will continue to do that work that I effectively did for 25 years with the police department. All right, on to an issue that's uh, still fresh in people's minds here in Whatcom County, the flooding from last fall and, and that has recurred here in the in our our communities and what can the state or what are some steps that the state can take to mitigate future flooding events here in Whatcom County? This time we'll start with Tasha. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I've been working with the flood survivors since March with the uh, Whatcom Long-Term Recovery Group, and I know that a lot of people, as we're coming back into flood season and we're looking at the projections for the weather to be uh, an extraordinarily wet season again, there's a lot of concern that not, not enough has been done to uh, curb the ability, uh, you know, 
curb the flooding, the, the river. There's been one, um, you know, a leave for a channel, but, you know, as I've, I'm going to go back to this. It's diversity in the river. In the river, diversity is what's key. We need to find multiple different programs uh, on how to manage the river. We have we don't have a, a water uh, a lack of water problem. We have a water management problem. We have too much water in the winter, and we have not enough water in the win in the summer. And so we need to find effective management problems that can curb some of the flooding issues and concerns because there is a lot of anxiety going on in Sumas and Everson right now about the fact that not a whole lot has been done in this summertime to really um, prevent future flooding. There's been a lot of conversation, but not as much action. And so, and some of that is rules and regulations. This, uh, I've said it a couple of times, we, have, we are a state that loves to add more regulations on top of more regulations without really evaluating whether the regulations we already have had the, the impact that uh, we, we, that was intended. And so is that regulation getting in the way of being able to um, manage our river effectively? And what regulations can we remove so that we can uh, have people not having massive anxiety and, and triggering their PTSD from being in the floods? You know, my sister, I just talk, talked to her yesterday. She had four feet of water in her house out in Sumas. We spent days cleaning her house out. And so, and she's really struggling as we come into November again in the one-year anniversary. Alicia? Yeah, my heart is just right there with all of the people that have been impacted by this. I especially think about it with all the news coverage we're seeing with Florida. For even for me, be, not being that, you know, right in there in that moment, watching those pictures on the news is just bringing it all back. Um, and so my heart is right there with them as we come back into flood season. I know people are checking their phones and really keeping a close eye on it. Um, and I know that one thing that we are doing, and I'm very proud of the work that our community has been doing together, particularly with our local governments, is preparing better. And knowing that, um, yes, there's some work that will continue to be done. And, and again, that's the kind of work that requires everybody coming to the table. So now we're working with, we're working with tribes and local government and Canada and making those kinds of decisions together it takes time to do that, and that's not um, comforting, but it's a reality that we have to work with. So I'm really proud of the work I did uh, working on some of the recovery efforts. I've been working very close hand-in-hand -hand with our Division of Emergency Management System. Um, we have began the work to start a, an emergency response um, at a statewide level and to build a program. And that's something that just wasn't there when it happened the first time. And it is there now, and we'll continue to put it into statute moving forward. All right. Do you have anything to add, or should we move on to our lightning round? Go ahead, Tasha. Yes. So uh, those things are all good things, but the fact that she mentioned that it just takes time. And that's what's troubling for the people that I'm communicating with every day is – we just built our house back. There are people just now moving back into their homes and they're wondering if in two months they're going to lose everything all over again because at, at a level above us, they they talk about time. And I get that there's a lot of people in it, but we need to have less regulation or regulations that's more effectively so we can manage our river. Alicia? Respectfully, I haven't heard my opponent give a specific idea of how you'd manage a river of this size with the amount of water that came through in this atmospheric um, event. All right. Let's move on to our lightning round of questions. So each have 60 seconds to, to just give us your answer to each one of these. Uh, question number one, and we'll start with Alicia. Is the pandemic over? Yes. Okay. Anything more? <laughs> well, I, just because I declare it over doesn't mean it actually is, but I think I'm really happy to see that we've been moving forward through this Um I think most of us are really feeling the, the relief of being able to say, for example, be in this room and not have to wear a mask, have our kids back in school. Are the impacts of the pandem pandemic over? Absolutely not. We are seeing it in every sector. We see it in the economic sector. We see it in mental health. We see it in our crime rates. It is spilling all over the place. But thankfully, we have moved through uh, the worst of this pandemic. And I think most of us don't even want to ever think about it again. It's the worst. All right, Tasha. Yes, I agree. The pandemic is over. I do believe that is moved to the endemic stage that we recognize that for all the work that's been done, this will be something that we will always be um, combating on a certain level. And there will 
just like every other um, disease like uh, SARS-CoV-1 is still with us and still causing people to be sick. And so we need to move past that. I think that the fact that we did not do more to um, move forward a little faster is why some of our businesses are are still struggling to this day. I think there we could have taken some more effective steps to let our businesses reopen faster with some different, uh, with some better safety precautions that, so that they would would be able to move forward and uh, we wouldn't be this far behind on recovery. All right, uh, this time uh, Tasha will go first. Uh, should Snake River dams be removed to save salmon? No. So I think, especially in light of how we are all supposed to go to green uh, power, renewable power. Our dams are one of the um, most efficient renewable powers that we have. And um, when they talk about solar and they talk about wind, every every type of renewable energy is going to have an impact on the environment. Solar is going to take up a lot of space, some of that agricultural space, and impacts on building the batteries. And so every type of renewable, and I think dams yes there's some impacts on the fish but there's going to be impacts from every type of renewable energy and so i think cost benefit analysis we already have them in place they're creating renewable energy and they're um, managing water over on the east side for farmers to be able to use and so taking them out what other problems are you creating uh, and what power loss are we going to be having because of that alicia yeah generally speaking this is really a federal issue however you know i think we can see how sophisticated of a problem this is. And it's going to take sophisticated solutions to work through it. That means the key being that we all work together, that we put in all the stakeholders and really do that that difficult civil dialogue to get to solutions. Um, none of the things in front of us are easy. And when we talk to each other, we're able to hear all sides of the issue. And when we can do that and slow down, look each other in the eye, and understand some of the things that we might not know ourselves, we're able to deliver the kind of policy that's sustainable, long-lasting, and good for people. All right. Uh, that's, we'll go to Alicia. Uh, what actions should Washington State be taking in light of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision? Well, I just think it's really important that we protect a woman's right to choose what they do with their own health care decision. Um, I have known for a long time that life gets complicated really quickly. And if we lead with compassion and we trust women to make their own decisions, they're fully capable of doing that. Tasha? You know, this has been decided in Washington State even prior to Roe v. Wade in 1970 and again in 1991, the will of the people. And it is codified in our in law that we have been abiding by that. And so the Roe v. Wade decision... Uh, at the federal level is not impacting our state level uh, access to abortion. All right. Well, let's uh, now we're to the point where you get to talk about yourselves and your campaign, whatever you want to say. So we'll start with Alicia since you began at the, at the very top. Thank you. Uh, I'm a lifelong social worker. I was born right here in Whatcom County and have five generations of my family who've lived here. I worked really hard to ensure that I could raise my three boys here and I am fully dedicated to ensuring that we look after the people that live here in a way that creates opportunity for our next generations and protects what we have and have that my you know grandparents and great-grandparents have passed down to us. Um, I am really proud of the work I've been doing in the legislature, and it seems that others have noticed because I have support from both AWB, which is the Association of Washington Business, and nearly every labor council I have support from law enforcement and mental health um, and from Democrats and Republicans. And the reason I've earned that support is because I've worked hard to build relationships with folks, listen deeply and carefully so that we can deliver very well for those who live here in Whatcom County and in Washington State. All right. Tasha? Thank you. Um, like Alicia, I grew up here in Whatcom County on a dairy farm south of Linden, uh, I'm a first generation. My dad grew up in Holland and came here with a specific dream of owning a farm because Holland didn't have an opportunity for him to buy land there. And so I'm so proud that he was able to um, come here and immigrate here and, and raise a family of 11 of us on a dairy farm. 
in Linden. And so what they taught me on that dairy farm is to, to work our butts off. If you want something, you got to work for it. And it was uh, a great way to be raised. And it's a, it's a, uh, a farming is a way of life. It's something integral. integral. It's why you do it. You do it because not for the money, but you do it because you're passionate about it. And I took that, and that is what I applied to law enforcement. And why I did it is as a public servant, I wanted to serve my community. And I have the best uh, public safety basis for being able to fix the problems that were created by our current representatives in Olympia over the last two years. All right. Uh, Republican candidate Tasha Dykstra-Thompson and Democratic candidate Alicia Rule. They're running for uh, or asking her for your vote uh, for 42nd District State Representative Position 1. We appreciate both of you coming today and being part of this. And uh, good luck to, to both of you. Thanks for the opportunity, Joe. Thank you, Joe.